listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 8. We are uh, in a series, week 9 of a week, we don't know how many of Exodus, but uh, let me encourage you too. If you have a hard copy of your Bible, um, bring it. If you don't have one, if you don't have a Bible, we have some freebies in the back in the room. Grab one. Uh, if, if you follow along in the scripture, I promise you, you get more out of our sermons as we come right to the text. If you're a, if you're a you know, phone app guy, you know, no judgment. I just can't hear the scrolling on that. So you know, maybe when you scroll, just go or something so I know you're in the Bible, right? Don't really do that, please. That'll be very distracting. Um, but just want us to be people uh, of the word, uh, who come to the word, who seek the word. Um, this is great scene in this, in this movie, come from the 50s, a little Disney film called Pollyanna. Some of you know Pollyanna. Some of you are like, Pollyanna, I've never seen Pollyanna. But Pollyanna is a sweet little girl and she basically is an orphan. She comes to live with her aunt and, and she basically transforms this town just by her sweetness, right? She's just a sweet little girl. And there's one scene where she is uh, interacting with her preacher. There's one preacher in the town and he's kind of an angry preacher and he's always yelling. And so he's out practicing his sermons in the field and he's yelling at the trees and, you know, practicing. And, and she comes up and she starts talking to him and talking about how her dad was a preacher. And, uh, you know, she, he, he kind of, he's, you know, I can't connect with my audience. I can't, can't connect with my congregation. And she's, oh, that was the same with my dad. And how did he deal with it? He asks her and she said, well, when he found the happy texts, everything changed. And he's like, he presses and he's like, the happy text. She's like, yeah, there's over 800 happy texts in the Bible, right? And I don't know where she got that number, uh, but she, you know, maybe it's true, I don't know. Uh, and she says, so you always preach the happy text. Uh, I don't know what the happy texts are, but I'm telling you this, Exodus 8 through 10 ain't one of them. Okay, um, here, here's how in the middle of the text it goes. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your hearing of your son and of your grandson how I've dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I'm the Lord. God is saying here, I want you to tell your kids, I want you to tell your grandkids, what? That I was harsh. That I was harsh with the Egyptians. Now, I'm not a grandparent yet, uh, I, my grandparents, you know, they gave us some wisdom. There's some pearls there. I remember my one grandfather, he told me, son, you don't put ketchup on a steak. Not a good steak, right? That's good advice, y'all. That is, that's a pearl. He also told me how my mom would need asparagus because she thought it looked like worms. And so every Thanksgiving, he would tell the asparagus story. Your mother don't eat asparagus. It look like worms, right? Those were his world, words of wisdom to us. I, I don't know what I'm gonna tell my grandkids. I'm pretty sure it's not that I was a harsh father. Right? But God is saying here, I want you to tell your grandkids, I treated the Egyptians harshly. Right? And, and this, that's not happy. And I'll be honest with you, texts like this, I struggle with because I don't want to have to tell you about a God who sends boils on people and a God who kills the Chick-fil-A uh, mascot. Right? God's chicken sandwich mascot, dead. Uh, it's a harsh reality. But there's a reason God says, I want, you to com- I want you to communicate this. I don't want you to hide this. I don't want you to apologize for this. I want you to share this with your kids and with your grandkids. And on the surface, here's why. It may seem harsh, but what we're gonna see as we dig in is it, it may seem harsh, but it actually is a happy text if you get to the reason why. 
So I'm gonna take a harsh text and show you how it's actually a happy text. And we're gonna work through the last of these uh, or the next six of these plagues today. In Exodus 8, verse 20, we're gonna go all the way through the end of chapter 10. A lot of text. So I'm gonna read it all because what God has to say is more important than what I have to say. So I'll make a few comments here and there to explain, but we're gonna read it all. And what we've seen, if you've been with us, last week the plagues began. And all the plagues, the point of the plagues was to show that there is one God the God of the Hebrews, his name is Yahweh, that he is the one true God. And Ra and Isis and Osiris and the Nile God and the Bug God, they are not real gods. And you may be, we, we, we may have different names for them. We don't have the Nile God, but we have the Nasdaq. And we don't have uh, the, the, the Cal God, but we may have the Facebook God. Whatever it is, if you're looking for comfort, security, joy in that, it is empty. There is one God. And that's the point of the plagues, that you would know him, your greatest need. My greatest need is to know who God is. And God in this passage reveals himself as coming across harsh. But in the end, we're gonna see it is a happy text, right? So the plagues, what they did, they started with, with discomfort in the first three. The second three more were destruction. The, la- the last three were dread. And then there's the big one at the end. We'll look at that next week. And so we're gonna work through. We're gonna jump in, follow along, Put on your seatbelt because we're gonna roll. Let's go. Verse 20, chapter eight. The Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. So the word swarms of flies, those three words, in the Hebrew, it's just one word, the swarms. And so the English translators make a, a, a judgment call and put flies. It could be flies. There's these dog flies in Egypt that are nasty. They bite and they hurt. It could be them. It could be uh, what many think is these, these, these beetle type things. You've seen the mummy and all these things where they kind of crawl out and, and they crawl out, of, you know, all these things. It could be them, these scarab beetles. It could be your normal house fly. It could be, it could be all of them. Swarms could be just different bugs. But notice it says they're gonna be everywhere, even under your feet. So imagine you walking out to the bathroom and crunch, 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 right? In your cereal, in your Cheerios, crunch, crunch. I know if you're that person that like there's a cockroach and you freak out, this is very bad for you. Some of you right now are like kind of creeping and that's my goal. I'm trying to make you uncomfortable because you need to feel this. And this is an attack on the God, uh, Kafiri, who is supposed to keep the insects in charge, right? In fact, uh, she had her her form, had a a scare beetle as her face, really attractive. There's your prom date, right? You want, you know, that's who she was and she was in charge of the bugs and this is an attack showing, hey, this is not a real God at all. Right? But notice what's, what happens. This is a little bit different than before now. Verse 22 and 23. On that day, God says, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. There will be no swarms of flies there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. So for the first time, we see that God is making a distinction. Goshen, no flies. Which makes me believe that the first three, the people of Israel had to go through. But now, no flies there, flies there. Right? And so it happens, verse 24. The Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses throughout the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by swarms of flies. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. You can stay here. Stay close. Go do what you need to do. Just stay close is what he's saying. Don't, you don't have to leave. 
Moses said it would not be right to do so. For the offerings we sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. We're gonna sacrifice cows and sheep and goats and all these things are, are sacred to you and you'll get mad at us, right? Will they not stone us if we do this? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will, I will let your people go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Plead for me. And Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you. I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people uh, tomorrow. Only let Pharaoh not cheat again by not letting the people go sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, prayed to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also did not let the people go. Chapter nine, then the Lord said, go into Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock. Notice the phrase that are in the field. This is important because there's gonna be animals in the barns and things that are not gonna be affected. People will often attack the Bible and say, see, there's errors. How, if all the animals died, then how are there animals later on? Because some of the animals were safe inside the barn. So it's not all the animals, it's all the animals in the field, right? The herds, the camels, all these flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction, again, between the the livestock of Israel, the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And he does it, verse six. The next day the Lord did this thing, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh goes and checks, and behold, Not one of the livestock of Israel, all the sheep still there, all the cows still there, all the camels still there. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people go. This is an attack on the goddess Hathor, which was a Egyptian god with a, with a bull for a head. If the, if the Pharaoh of the Exodus is Amenhotep II, which we don't know for sure, but a lot of people suggest, he is notorious for being a fan of this guy. This is one of his big gods. There's actually an image that they found in the year 1906 of this Pharaoh kneeling under this god, kind of underneath it, drinking from its udder. It's a picture of just his, his subservience to Hathor. And God is saying, Hathor ain't no god. You're going into utterly the wrong place. All right, there you go. That's only a third service joke too. I didn't even use that earlier, okay? Just so you all know. It's not on film, that's why. Next verse. All right, verse eight. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust all over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln, stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and became boils breaking out in sores. And so he walks into his presence. He takes this soot. He goes all LeBron James. You know, remember LeBron before the game throws the chalk up in the air and everyone's woo, you know, but he does that with soot and boils. Nasty, pus, leaking, itchy, just all over man and beast, right? You can imagine just the agony and the frustration and the pain of what is going on. And again, notice verse 11, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and the Egyptians. They can't do anything. They're supposed to be healers. They're supposed to be magicians and they're suffering. They can't even come out. This is an attack against the God, Imhotep, who's the God of healing of Israel, clearly has no power against Yahweh. Next 
plague. 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my hand out and struck you with your, and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go home. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never been in Egypt from the, from the day that it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. And whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. Whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So God gives a warning. If you're out in the field, you will die. So bring everything in, right? So the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. I've been in a hailstorm. It's a, you know, insurgents, agents, worst nightmare, right? But this is hail like they've never seen. It kills Everything. The largest, I did a little research this week, the largest hailstone ever recorded was found in North Dakota, which is another reason, if, as if you needed one, not to move to North Dakota. Here's a picture of it, all right? Eight inches, right? I can't imagine if you even just like tossed that to me that I get hit by that, it would feel good. Imagine something bigger than that, crushing cows, crushing horses, destroying everything with lightning and fire and everything happening. That's what's going on. Verse 24, it was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything in the field, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck down every plant in the field, broke every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel was there no hail. This is an attack on the goddess Newt, God of the sky, God of rain, God of clouds, God of all these things, who has no power over God. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there, may, that there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's, but as for you and your servants, I know that you are, do not yet fear the Lord. It says, I know you're, you're pretending, I know you don't fear God yet, but I'm gonna do this anyway, so you'll know. The earth is God's. The earth is God's. And you have this interesting note in 31 and 32, the flax and the barley were struck down, the barley was in the ear, the flax was in the bud, the wheat was in the emmer were not struck down because they were late and coming up. And the idea there is this. This actually is an important little nugget it's not just by instant. It tells us when this is taking place because the barley was in the ear in January. So why is that significant? It's just a reminder. These plagues were not just like 10 days. Here's months. Because remember, Passover, which is the last plague, happens about April-ish every year. So you're talking about a months-long process of God pouring out these judgments on the nation of Egypt, right? And so the wheat and the emmer come up in June, July. They're not destroyed yet. They're, they're gonna get taken out by the next one. 
So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord. The thunder and the hail ceased. The rain no longer poured upon earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Chapter 10, and we already read verses one and two where God says, I want you to tell how I've been harsh. Verse three, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that, you may, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they're gonna cover the face of the land, right? They're, they're going to, they're gonna terrorize this place is what's gonna happen. Um, locusts can eat their weight uh, in, in food in, in one day. I read about a, a locust uh, outbreak in North Africa about 10 years ago. There was 10,000 locusts per square foot, over a billion locusts. Here's a picture of just, this is in Ethiopia, I believe, uh, of locusts. Okay, this is a locust swarm. This is just the average locust swarm. I don't know what old boy thinks he's doing with that stick. It ain't working. Okay, that's just like, he's just like, I don't know. I don't know what that is, right? But they are devastating, devastating, right? They, and this is an attack on, again, Isis, Osiris, one or the other, who's supposed to protect against these things and clearly cannot do it, right? Cannot, cannot handle the locusts. Uh, they're gonna cover the face of the land that you can't see the land. That's what he says in verse five. Uh, they're gonna eat every tree. Verse seven through nine, Pharaoh's servant said, how long? How long are you gonna let this happen? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand Egypt is ruined? This is pre-locust, by the way. They haven't come yet. This is them saying, please, please let them go. And so he brings them back, verse eight. Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said, go serve the Lord, but who's gonna go with you? Which ones are you gonna take? Moses said, all of us. Young, old, sons and daughters, flocks and herds, we must all go. But he said, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Go, the men among you can go. Serve the Lord, for that's what you're asking. But don't take anyone else, that's the idea. The men can go, leave everyone else behind. And then they were driven out of his presence. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt. The Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over the land of Egypt, settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts has never been seen before, nor will ever be seen again. And they covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. They ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all of Egypt. It's desolate, barren. It's West Texas. It's nothing left dry, nothing. Everything's tore up. Pharaoh, I love this, hastily called Moses and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. Now therefore forgive my sin. Please only this once plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh, pleaded with the Lord and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong wind, west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go. Last one. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Think about that statement, to be felt. 
So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. All the people of Israel had light where they lived. So this is not a sandstorm of some suggested. This is not an eclipse. Three days of pitch black, cannot see your hand in front of your face. Now this is not just nighttime in the day either because you can see a little bit at night. This is a darkness that can be felt so much so, notice it says they don't move. They sit for three days. They are scared so much that they do not move. And I was asking one of the guys this week, I said, what do you think they did about the bathroom? I don't know. That's just where my mind goes, I know. But they're right there, because they're, they can't move. Imagine the emotional and the psychological effect of this, not knowing when it's going to end. Three days. Imagine sitting in, in darkness for three minutes like that. Three days, yet there's light in Goshen. This is an attack on one of the main Egyptian deities, the god Ra, right? Who is, you've seen, you know, pictures of the sun god. This is, this is Ra. This is one of their main gods, but Ra has no power over Yahweh. And so after three days, Pharaoh calls Moses and says, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Just leave your flocks, leave your cows, leave your sheep. But Moses said, you must let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. We must take all of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we get there. He's saying, look, we don't even know what we're getting into. We just know we're supposed to go, which is very interesting because they don't have the law yet. They don't have all the sacrificial stuff. They just know they're supposed to go and they're gonna be worshiping. He said, we gotta take it all. We don't know what we're getting into. And Pharaoh said to him, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said, get away from me. Take care to never see my face again. From the day you see my face, you shall surely die. And I love Moses' response. Yep, you are right. I will not see your face again. So this is not a happy text on the surface, right? I know it's a lot. This is not your Christmas Eve you know, message this is Easter Sunday message, right? This, this, is, this, this is God saying, I was harsh, right? And it teaches us a little bit about God and who he is. But let me show you, when you see this rightly, you can see that, yes, it's harsh on the surface, but it is actually a happy text. Let me give you three things about our God from this text that will point us to the fact that it is actually a very glad text. Here's the first one, and here's the big E on the eye chart, that our God is a mighty, powerful God, Right? This is a God who can take the sun, which is 93 million miles away. It takes, what, eight and a half, nine minutes for light to get here. You can fit, like, what, a million earths in the sun. He can take the sun and make it black on one moment, but he can also have light over here. That is how mighty he is. He's not only in control of something that big, he's in control of the wind that brings bugs. He's in control of bacteria that gets under the skin and causes boils or kills cows. He is mighty over every thing, every aspect of creation, which is why Nehemiah says, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made the heaven, you have made the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all is in it. He is a mighty God, right? And think about that for a moment. I've just kind of been nerding out a little bit on the Mars rover and kind of checking that every day. I don't know if you guys are nerding out on that, but seeing this Mars rover and looking at, at Mars, which is truly a red planet, but one of the images that I saw from it was, was stunning, and it was a picture of the sky at night over Mars. If you haven't seen this, you need to Google it, 
Because you can see, because Mars doesn't have the atmosphere and, and the light pollution that we have, you can see into the Milky Way like in a way that I have never seen before. And it is stunning. I mean, you see just millions of stars. Like I look at our sky and I'm like, oh, Big Dipper, North Star, there's Orion's belt. I don't know what, I just know the three things of the belt. And I, that's my astronomy knowledge. And I'm like, wow, isn't God great? You look at this and you stand back and say, whoa, my God made that. He knows the names of all those stars. He holds them in his right hand. He created them with a word on day four. He is a mighty God. And what these plagues are, in, in, a, in a little bit of a way, it's God flexing his power for us to see. And you, you, you've been at the gym and you've seen the guy flex, right? The guy, he's, he's 6'4", 250, and he's wearing a youth small shirt, right? You've seen him, right? And, and he go, you ask him, hey, hey, can I use that thing? Yes, you can, I'll get it for you. He wants you to see that his biceps are bigger than your truck because he's flexing, right? And you're like, dude, I, I, I get it. You have no life, you live here, I get it, right? I don't need you to show me how strong you are, I can see it. You could say, well, is that what God's doing and flexing his power? If, if God was vain, and, and needy, like, oh, I just really am lonely. I need people to know about me. I really need them to worship me and I really need them to like me, so let me show them. If that was God, yeah, it would be empty. It would be vain. But if it's what we need to see about him, then it is not vanity, it's actually love. It's love. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. So a few times in our, in our time in this room even, we've had a medical emergency in this room. You know, one time on the balcony, guy passes out. And in that moment, uh, all the doctors and the ER nurses and all the, it's just like, and they're in. And, and they're giving orders, right? They're like, hey, stand back and give them air and blah, blah, blah. And they're doing all these things and they're instructing and they're moving in is what we want them to do. Never once when that has happened, has someone been you know, like four or five seats away and been like, Dude, did you see that guy? How arrogant is he? He's all telling me what to do and get out of the way. I mean, come on, man. I, who is he anyway? No one is doing that. Why? Because we need him. We need her to move because they have the education. They have the training. They have the knowledge to deal with that situation. In fact, I would say if there's an ER doctor and he's sitting three seats down and someone's convulsing over there, if he stands back and says, yeah, I don't know really. Who am I anyway? I mean, maybe they want to convulse in front of everybody. I don't know if I should get involved here. What, should I get involved? No, dude, get in there. This is your deal. I preach, you deal with convulsions. That's your calling, right? It's, it's an act of love because it's what's needed because what I need and what you need is when your life turns sideways and you don't know what's going on and they say, I have spots on my liver, I have spots on my lungs. When you lose your job, when things are a wreck at home, when there's just chaos and struggle and anxiety, what you need in that moment is to know that your God is big and that your God is strong. I need that. I need to know that so I have a place to rest. See, this is not God being arrogant and showing off. It's him showing us what we need to know. CBC, this is your God. This is your God, right? And, and it's meant for you to stand back and say, whoa, he's big. He's strong. I need that. 
That's what it's meant for that. It's that wow factor. It's the same wow factor when the disciples are in the boat and it's going under and these are expert sailors and they're, they're freaking out because the waves and everything and Jesus is all racked out on the front because he's so tired. They're like, Jesus, don't you care about us? And he wakes up and he says, peace be still. And everything shuts down. And the, and the response of the disciples, you know what it is? It's not like, man, great. Now this is easy, Rowan. They're like, who in the world is this? that the wind and the sea obey him. Who is it? I'll tell you who it is. It's the same one who is bringing these plagues and has control over the universe. It is the same one who later is gonna say, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me and I give them eternal life and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And the father who is greater than me and given all things to me, no one is able to snatch out of his hand because he is mighty. It's the same one that says, if I am for you, then who in the world can be against you? It is the same one who says that I will never, no, never leave you or forsake you. It is the same one who says, what can separate you from my love? You think you can separate you from my love? Nothing on earth. That's how mighty I am. It's the same one who says, you got anxiety, you got struggles, you cast them on my shoulders because my shoulders are big and I, can, I care for you. See, I need to know that, don't you? That's why this is not just harsh. It is good news. It is a happy text because I look back and who's standing behind me, Right? I, this is, and this is not, look, God's on my team. No, no, God is not on your team. God is the team. You're the water boy. So what do we do? Kicking and streaming? We get the ball to the Italians. We give him the ball and let him roll. See, when we grasp this, and this is why we need to see this, this is when we start doing what we were talking about at the beginning of last year, Ephesians 3.20, asking be about him who is abundant, who's able to do far more abundant than we can ask or think. We start praying things that only God could do. We start expecting things that only God can do. So we're not like, well, I don't know if God could ever reach my spouse. I don't know if he'll ever reach that guy. I don't know if I can ever do that. I don't know. No, we'll stop praying that and we'll say, okay, let's look for God to move. He's big, he is mighty, and he can handle it. That's, what we're, that's why this is important. This is the difference between the Exodus 3 Moses and the Exodus 11 and 12 Moses. Exodus 3, Moses is doing what? I don't know, I can't do it. I'm just so weak. I'm just a shepherd. They don't like me. No one likes me. Uh, what was me? That's here. What is he doing in Exodus 10? Hey, Pharaoh, poof. How you like them apples? Hey, Pharaoh, you're right. You won't ever see me again. You're right. What's the difference? He saw the mighty hand of God move in front of him and now he is trusting him boldly. This is your God and you need to see him. And a couple of just quick applications. Number one, so we need to stop being timid. We need to stop being so scared of everything. We don't need to be afraid of man. What does the writer to Hebrews say? He quoted the Psalm, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? He can kill you and send you to be with Jesus quicker. That's what he can do. That's all he can do. Right? So why are we so timid? I'm not saying being arrogant and I'm not saying put stupid things on your Facebook that make you look like a moron. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about why are we so scared to say, I actually believe that marriage is between a man and a woman because God said that. And why are we so afraid of that? Why are we so afraid that Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are married? Why? Not arrogance. Why are we so afraid of what God has said? Why are we so timid about truth? 
It's not your truth anyway, it's God's. Put it on his shoulders, he can handle it. He don't need you to defend him. He can defend himself, I promise you. He just needs you to trust him, right? He needs you to trust him. And I think the other application is this. The purpose of God delivering his people what? so they could be worshipers, so they could serve him. How many times let my people go that they mean what? Serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. So let's start serving him with our whole hearts and stop compromising like Pharaoh wants us to. He wants us to stay close. He wants us to leave our sheep. He wants us to leave our kids. No, no. If God is great, if he is mighty, then he is worthy of our wholehearted obedience. So it's, well, you can leave your Christianity on Sunday. Don't take it so seriously. No, you ought to take it seriously because he is worthy of that. It's not just a little white lie. It's not just a little couple pills. It's not a couple extra drinks. It's not just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, it's called sin and God is worthy of our obedience and we ought to follow him because he's great and he's mighty, right? That's the first idea. That's why it's not harsh, it's good news. Second one is this. Now this one is not popular, but I'm not popular anyway, so let's move on. Chapter, verse number two. Our God is a just judge. He's a just judge, there's a lot of talk of justice in these days. Justice is actually a good thing. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that we are to seek justice and love loving kindness and walk humbly with our God. The reason why there is a sense of justice in humanity is because God is just and we are made in his image. And so there's a cry and a desire for justice because it's a good thing. Our problem is we have a heightened and elevated sense of justice. This is why when you go to the baseball game and you get, your kid gets called, strike three, that was three inches outside. God, hail. And you want to call hail down on old boy because he just missed a call. And that's some of you, I know, because I go to baseball games. This is why some of you are driving under end and someone doesn't turn their turn signal on and you are trying to call boils out on them right now because they did not, they turned right, right in front of you. This is why some of you are gonna go out to lunch and the, the server is not gonna, they're gonna undercook your chicken and they're not gonna fill your water fast enough and you are ready for God to bring locusts to their tomato plants in their backyard. Right, because we have a heightened, elevated sense of justice. Justice is not bad. As long as you realize that there's only one who is impartial and that is God. Because we have ourself in mind. We want justice now, and God does not always bring justice now. He just promises he will bring it. So this is why he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And the plagues are God repaying. And it's fair and it's just, right? Remember Israel says, you have made a stink, Moses, in the sight of Egyptians. What does God do? He brings the stank frogs and the stank Nile. They kill their, their boys, God kills the Nile. And he takes their firstborn. He makes work harder. They take the straw away for the bricks. What does God do? He takes the soot and the ashes from the very kilns in which they had to make their own bricks and it becomes the judgment on their skin. God is just and he will repay, just not in our time sometimes. Think about this. How many Hebrews died as slaves and never saw the justice of God? A lot. But he is just. And he will judge the living and the dead. Second Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. First Peter, that we will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. This is not a popular idea, but the plagues are actually a prototype of the future judgment. Read Revelation, they're very similar. And it gets worse at the end, right before Jesus comes back. And here's something real interesting I, I, as I came across in my study this week. You know what happens in the book of Revelation with the victorious saints? When God is judging the earth with these plagues, they sing the song of Moses. 
Revelation 15, three. It's God will judge. He will, cannot escape it. He is just, right? And that seems harsh. We want a God that's God, God is a God of love. I thought God was a God of love. He is a God of love. Absolutely he is a God of love. But we, we think that because he's a God of love that he will not judge sin, that he, that he will just let it go. You gotta understand, for God to be a God of love, he has to have the potential for anger and wrath as well. Where there is love, there also has to be wrath and anger. Let me illustrate it this way. You invade my house. You come after my kids, you come after my wife, you come after my dog. You can have the cat, no harm, no foul. But you come after them, I will take my little five, six body and the weapons of warfare that I have, and I have, and we will go to war. Why? Is it because I'm a violent person? I'm not. Is it because I'm looking for a fight? Does I look like I'd win a fight? No, because you're coming after that which I love. And because I love them, I will lay down my life for them and I will go to jail if necessary and start a church, CBC, Chatham County Jail. Right? Because they are worth it. Because love without, without the idea um, of defending something, that love without, uh, of laying down for a reason is, is cheap, all right? Driven with the power to defend, right? And what we wanna do, because we're, we're ashamed of it, we, we, we wanna hide it, is that we wanna cheapen the God of the universe to be a big Santa Claus in the sky who will never judge sin, who will never deal with people who rebel. But because God is, is holy and he is intensely personal, he moves towards, towards us, but he will judge sin and he will expose sin. And he hates sin. But here's where this idea of God is a just judge. This is why it seems harsh, but let me tell you why it is good news. Because God did deal with sin. He dealt with it. He poured out all of his holy wrath, which makes the 10 plagues look like a, like a party. He poured it all out already. Where? On his very begotten son, which is why the son in the Garden of Gethsemane says, let this cup pass. Not, that's not a cup of wine. It's a cup of God's wrath. And he pours out all his holy wrath on his only begotten son. Why? So that you would never face it. That's good news. This is why to get to the gospel, the good news, you have to deal with the bad news first. And this is why Paul says this, and, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice. That's the satisfaction of wrath. Why? So, so we will receive it by faith to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just dealing with sin and justifier, making you righteous. You get Jesus' righteousness, he gets your sin. That's why this is good news, if received by faith, right? That's how much he loves. And so the application is, what do we do when we face sin? We stop playing with it, we repent of it. We don't pull a Pharaoh, well, I'm sorry. No, you're sorry you got caught. You're sorry your favorite cow died. You're sorry that your favorite tree that you used to climb as a kid is gone. You're not sorry. True repentance is change, it's a 180. This is wrong, I'm moving towards righteousness, right? And when we do that, when we repent, we'll find the third thing, that our God is a gracious savior. 
He is mighty. He is a just judge and he is a gracious savior. How many times in this text do we see there's a distinction? I'm setting apart my people. I'm setting apart my people. My people are here, you're here. Why did God do that? Why does God set apart his people and judge these people? Is it because the Hebrews are such a good group of folks? Poor Hebrews, they, they've been suffering long enough. We just need to, they're super godly. This is not a good group of people. They've already turned on Moses. They're gonna turn on him again. And, 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 and you go 20 or so chapters down when they're standing at the mountain and God is giving the 10 commandments. Moses is gone for a little bit over a week and they're, they're getting so impatient. They're like, Aaron, make us a God. And they make a cow, they make a Hathor. And they say, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Are you kidding me? You're like 10 days from the Red Sea and you're worshiping a cow. That's who these people are. So these aren't good people. So why does God save them? Because that's who he is. And so Paul picks up this on Romans 9. Don't have enough time to unpack it. We've been trying to unpack this for 2,000 years and people are still fighting. But let me just read it. He says to Moses, this is right out of this text. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Why? So then it depends on not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Right? It's not about the Hebrews being great. It's about God being great. And he says, for this purpose, I raise up Pharaoh that I might show my power in him, my name I proclaimed on all the earth so that he has mercy on whoever he wills, he hardens who he wills. It's so you can't say, I was a good person. That's why God saved me. I earned his grace. I, I was nice. I went to church. I was all these things. No, you weren't. You were bowing down to the Instagram God, the NASDAQ God, the, the fraternity God, the girlfriend God, the car God, whatever your job, career, God, that's what you were and he saved you anyway. That's the point, right? So you can't boast and you can't bargain. Notice Pharaoh wants to bargain with God, right? Hey God, uh, well you stay here and you stay here, we'll do this. You can't bargain with God. He's used to bargaining with God because you know what? His gods you could bargain with. I want the Nile to flood, I have to do this. I want the sky to do this, I have to do this. I wanna bargain, I'm gonna make things happen. I wanna make God bless me. You can't bargain with God. He lavishes us with his grace because that's who he is. All you can do is respond to it in humility and thank him for it. That's what you can do, right? That's who he is, Exodus 34 when Moses is getting the second set of the 10 commandments because the first ones get destroyed. God says, I'm gonna tell you who I am. I'm gonna proclaim my name. He says, the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed Yahweh. Again, Yahweh, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who I am. When you come to me, you will find grace. And God saves the Hebrews. Who else does he save? A ton of Egyptians because they see that he is the one true God and he is gracious and he is merciful. That's why this is a happy text. Right? And because we are recipients of mercy and grace and compassion, we ought to be the most compassionate and gracious and loving and merciful. They will know that we are Christians by our Facebook, by our fish on a car, by our love, by our compassion. Right? That's it. As, as I was reading this week, I mean, I read this passage countless times just to what I always do. And I just, I got frustrated with Pharaoh. I'm like, dude, just listen. As if I could change things. I'm like, why won't you just listen? I mean, your people are saying, please. And and God's saying, please. And you know, it's God. You're like, plead for me and take him away. I mean, I know he knows it and he still won't. What in the world? 
here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the difference that makes us either a harsh text or a happy text. You ready? There's just one thing. It's this, pride. Isn't it? Pharaoh wouldn't humble himself. Pharaoh wouldn't humble himself. Moses says, you have not humbled yourself. Pride keeps him from recognizing. He knows that God is great. He sees it. He sees the judgment of God, but he will not humble himself. And God is opposed to the proud and because he is great and mighty, God wins. But he gives grace to the humble, right? And so the, the, the application for us is, hey, how long are you gonna harden your heart? This is why the writer of Hebrews deals with this. He says, please, today, if you hear the spirit of God, if the spirit of God is, is moving in this way and calling you this, do not harden your heart because it is a dangerous thing. This is why I've heard it said, and it's, it's so smart. Church is a horrible hobby. If you're here because this is your hobby, you need to pick a new hobby. Get a jet ski. Get a bicycle, go ride motorcycles, do something else. Because if you continually sit under the preaching of the word where you hear that God is great and that he is holy and just and that he is gracious and you just let that go over your head and wash over it and you constantly hear that and do nothing, you are hardening your heart and God is gonna give you over to that and you'll find that you don't want what you get. So if God is moving on you and he's calling you and he's calling you to repent, he's calling you to believe, he's calling you to cast down these idols, he's calling you to serve, don't harden your heart. Humble yourself and you will find the grace of a gracious and mighty and just God. That is who he is and we need to know it. Let me pray. Why don't you stand and we'll sing. Father, you are good, you are gracious, you are holy, you are righteous. Um, this is a harsh but yet happy text for the humble. Let us be that humble. Let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that you may exalt in the proper time. Uh, pray your spirit would do that. That's not that I can't convince anybody. You must do it. Please do it. Please show compassion like you do. Uh, and whatever response is necessary for us, Lord, let us be willing to do it. In Christ's name I pray.